0: It's good to have you here at The Crossing with us today. If you're new around here, um, we are one church that meets in multiple locations. So we actually have locations in Southern Nevada and Utah and Michigan. And one of the exciting things is one of our microsites that is in St. George is renting out a theater for Easter and inviting all of their friends because they want to have a big impact there in St. Jordan. So be praying for them as they do that. And so let's go ahead and welcome all of those who are joining us, all of our microsites, Southeast Campus, those who are watching online. Love you guys. Well, I just got back from Israel just a few days ago. We had 48 people from the crossing, and we got to literally walk where Jesus walked. In this picture right here, this is on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. You can't really see the Sea of Galilee behind us because it was fog covered that morning. But this beach right here is a pretty significant beach because you remember when Peter denied Jesus and then Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. And after the resurrection, Jesus recommissions Peter. He calls Peter to follow him again. Well, that happened right here on this beach that we got to be at. And so just a, a great place for us to celebrate, you know, part of what Jesus has done in changing lives. And I'm going to be going to Israel again next March. Would love for you to go with us if that is something that's on your bucket list as well. Well, Easter is just two weeks away, and we have a fantastic service plan for you. And I'm going to tell you right now, don't be late, or you're going to miss part of the special um, thing that we have for Easter. But we have eight identical services over our two campuses. Our southeast campus times stay the same, but here at the Windmill Campus, every single time changes. And so I'll just let you know right now that the 930 and the 11 will be the most full services. So if you're able to come earlier to the Saturday services or even the 8 a.m. service, I hear that people who come to the 8 a.m. service love Jesus a little bit more than everybody else else. I don't know whether that's true, but that will be a big help for us, and so I want you to think about who you're going to invite, because we're just two weeks away, and so there are people who are willing and ready to come to church on Easter. They want to come, and they're just waiting for an invitation, and so we have invite cards out in the lobby, and so you can take as many as you need, so you can invite your friends as we're coming up here in these next couple weeks and just come and just tell them you will sit in a service with them and in addition to that we're doing baptisms after every single service out in the courtyard so if you are a follower of Jesus but you've never been baptized this is your next step and let me tell you there is no better day to be baptized than on Easter Sunday and so it's going to be just a great weekend for us and just can't wait to celebrate the most significant event of all time, the resurrection of Jesus with you. Well, we're nearing the end of our series that we've been calling GOAT. Now, GOAT stands for the greatest of all time, and Jesus is the greatest of all time. And we've based this series on the New Testament book called Hebrews. And this was a letter that was written to a bunch of Christians. It actually was not first a letter. It was like the first podcast. It was like the first sermon that was given and then written down and sent to these Christians whose lives had become very difficult. They were living near Rome and Nero is the Roman emperor at this point. And he became the emperor of Rome, Nero did when he was 16 years old and he quickly started persecuting the Christians. Nero ended up burning Rome down. And then blame the Christians for it. So they were under immense pressure and persecution. And they're ready to give up and go back to their old life. Because they didn't face persecution under their old life. So the Hebrew writer is reminding them. And he's reminding us that Jesus is greater. So don't give up. That whatever you're going through today, Jesus is greater than that. So don't give up. Jesus is greater than anything that you've carried in here today, so don't give up. Well, today, we're going to be diving into chapter 11 of Hebrews, and so today, we're talking about this whole idea of faith. Now, when you see this word right here, what do you think about? What, What comes to your mind? Some of you, when you hear this word, you know, people just said, you just need to have faith. You know, maybe you grew up, and you had questions about Christianity But you soon found out that your questions were not welcome. And somebody just said, you just need to have more faith. You just need to have more faith. Or maybe you had somebody in your family who got sick. Or they had a disease. And they went to some church. And instead of that church helping them, they began to blame them. And they said that it was their fault. They said, you just didn't have enough faith. And so they began to to just put that on them. Well, let's start off by talking about what faith is not. What faith is not. Now, faith is not positive thinking. Faith is not positive thinking. See, there's this idea that if you just channel all of your positive thoughts a certain way, then good things will happen to you. You know, it's like the football player in the Super Bowl, and they, they ask him afterwards, how did you do it? And he said, I just had faith. And you're like, really? Really? So did nobody on the other team have faith, or did you just have more faith? You know, it's this idea that, you know, it's just channel all of your positive thoughts. Well, that is not faith. And faith is not hopeful thinking either. See, hopeful thinking is, I really, really hope this comes true. That's more faith in faith than faith in God. Well, it is also, faith is not something that you inherit like a family heirloom. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe you went to church occasionally. Maybe your your parents had you baptized as a baby and you went to confirmation classes. But here's what you need to understand. There is no such thing as secondhand faith. You will not get into heaven because your mama or your grandmama were strong Christians. Because faith is not something that you inherit. And then last, faith is not dependent on a sign. Now, most of us have probably done something like this. We say, God, if you will get me out of this, I will follow you forever. Usually we say something like that when we have lights in our back mirror. (laughs) You've been pulled over and you just begin to pray that prayer, God, get me out of this ticket. And I promise that I'll serve you forever. Or maybe you prayed that prayer and said, God, please help me not to be pregnant this time. And I'll serve you forever. And if God doesn't do what we think that he should do, then we just kind of assume, well, there must not be a God. See, too many people want a sign. But a sign is not the real thing. A sign only points to the real thing. Well, the Hebrew writer is talking to to people who are facing death for their faith. And so he begins to tell stories of these heroes of the Bible who had faith in God, who faced difficult situations, and he uses these stories to encourage them, and he begins by sharing with us what faith is. Here's what he says in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1. He says, Now faith is confidence, And what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. Now, this is not just the definition of biblical faith, this is what it means to have faith in general. Think of it this way: when you took your job, someone told you this is what you're gonna get paid, and in two weeks, you're gonna get your first paycheck. And so you went to work confident that you were gonna get paid and assured that it was gonna come through. And so you worked as if it were true. See, this is what faith is. Faith is this confidence that someone is going to keep their promises. But it's the part of this passage, you've maybe heard this verse before, it's this next verse that we don't really talk about very often. He says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then he's going to take us through all of the heroes of the Old Testament, the ones that you grew up hearing about. You know, people like Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. And these people were commended not because they talked God into something. That's not faith. That's a fairy tale. They were commended because God made them a promise and they lived as if that promise would come true. But I want to show you something just to help you understand how big of a deal this is. Because in our English translation, it says, now faith is. But that's not how he actually wrote it. How he actually wrote it is he started off with this verb and he put it first. And it, in the original language, it says, is now faith. Now, this would be unusual to us. It was unusual to them. It kind of sounds like Yoda, doesn't it? You know, you can kind of hear Yoda saying, is now faith. You know, but that's what he's starting with. Is is it is an is, not a was. That faith is a living thing. It is a way of life. Let me just give you a definition for faith. This is what faith is. Faith is living. This is the key part of us. Faith is living with confidence that God is going to do what he promised to do. You see, faith isn't just trusting in God. Faith is living your life every day like God can be trusted. Faith is living your life every day like God can be trusted. It is taking your next step based on the promises of God. And then he begins to talk about all of these heroes of the Bible. And I'm going to skip down to verse 13 and look what he says. He says all of these people, talking about these heroes of the Bible, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance that they were living by faith, that they lived their whole life trusting God as if God was going to keep his promises. And they would never see God fulfill his promises in their lifetime. See, what he's referring to is, you remember, when God came to Abraham and God said to Abraham, even though you don't have any kids, I'm going to make your family into a great nation and every person alive will be blessed through your family. But Abraham did not see that promise fulfilled. And Isaac did not see that promise fulfilled. And Jacob did not see that promise fulfilled. And Moses did not see that promise fulfilled. Generation after generation, there was always a group of people who were faithful to God because they believed God was going to do what He said He was going to do. This is so convicting for us. Because you pray on Monday... And if God doesn't show up on Thursday, you're not real sure there is a God. You begin to doubt the whole thing. God, I gave you four days, and I still don't have a date for this weekend. God, I'm going to give you an extension. I'm going to give you till next week to get me a date, and we'll see if you really can be trusted. Or maybe it was, it was something that was really serious. Maybe you had somebody in your family who came down with cancer, and you prayed for them. You prayed that God would heal them, and not only did God not heal them, they died, and it rocked your faith. You didn't know what to do with all of that, and you begin to think, how can I trust a God who just seems untrustworthy? See, those who came before us say, hey, listen to us. We lived our entire life and we never saw God's promise fulfilled in our lifetime, but we trusted Him anyway. And He goes through all these heroes of the faith, and then He comes to these verses right here. He says, Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, they were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. See, some of you didn't even know these verses existed. You want to know why? Because you probably grew up in church, going to church, and when you went to Sunday school, your teacher didn't say, okay, boys and girls, today we're going to talk about how trusting God might get you sawed in two and thrown into prison. We we just didn't hear this. See, our tendency is to move past these too quickly. But I want the emotion of this to settle in. That these people kept the faith in the face of incredible persecution. That these people, they kept the faith even when everything did not turn out perfect for them. That their faith didn't fix their circumstances. See, the Hebrew writer is writing on this side of the resurrection because we now see the promises all fulfilled. But he's reminding us that there was a group of people who didn't give up. Let me read these verses to you again. He says, Some face jeers and flogging. And even chains and imprisonment, they were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. And the world was not worthy of them. He's talking to those who are facing persecution, whose lives have taken a turn. He's talking to those who have lost family and friends because they are followers of Jesus. And he's reminding them, and listen, he is reminding us, that there was once a version of faithfulness to God that caused followers to live out their faith and not just talk about their faith. There was once a version of faithfulness to God where people were willing to pay any price, even death, for their faith. There was once a version of faithfulness to God that attracted people from all backgrounds, young and old, rich and poor, men and women, religious and not so religious. Those are the ones who have gone before us. And this Hebrew writer says, these were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now, this word perfect means God's complete plan. They were, they were complete in God's plan. Now, this is powerful right here because here's what he's saying. Is he's talking about all of the heroes of the Bible. Think of these heroes of the Bible. Think of Abraham and Noah and Moses, that they were living by faith even when they died, and that promise was not yet fulfilled. But now, because of Jesus, you have something they did not have. Your faith is made complete in the same way that theirs was. Look at this. So that only together with us would they be made complete it through jesus that's where the promise is fulfilled so if they remain faithful you can too you can do this because we're on the other side of god's promise we're on the other side of the resurrection of jesus so what do we do what do we do with all of this well here's what he tells us in chapter 12 he says therefore Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, therefore, in light of all of those who have gone before us, in light of all of those who have suffered and died for the faith, there is now a stadium of people cheering you on, this great cloud of witnesses who have gone before you, who are cheering you on. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us whine and complain when we don't get our way. Let us be jealous that we don't have a bigger house, a nicer car, and a larger bank account. And let us blame God when he doesn't give us everything our little heart desires. Can you imagine how we must sound to this great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us? Can you imagine how we must sound to those who are around the world today being persecuted For the faith. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to India and speak at a youth conference. There is a few of us from the crossing that went and we were teaching all of the sessions. And so there's about 2,500 students at this youth conference. And at this camp, the military had to be around the camp, protecting the camp, because on the outside of the camp, was a group of Hindu extremists who wanted to come in and kill all of the Christians. This is going on today. I just got an email from our partners in India just a couple days ago that they asked for our prayer. They said, right now our Christians are under immense persecution and being arrested because of the faith. That's going on right now. A couple weeks ago, I was in the lobby, and I met a couple from China And they were visiting the crossing. It was the first time they'd ever been to an American church ever. And the husband was speaking to me through a translator. And he's the choir director of the underground church in China. He was telling me in their underground church, they have about a thousand people in their church. But they can never meet at the same time because it would cause suspicions and it would alarm the government and it could be dangerous because Christians in China are being arrested and persecuted every single day for the faith. Think of those who have gone before us. And here's what the Hebrew writer tells us. He says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. There's two things here. I want you to notice two things. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders. This is all the non-sin stuff in your life that's hindering you. It's those emotions that you won't deal with. It's those hurts. It's your past that is hindering your faith right now. And then the sin that so easily entangles. Because we all have a sin that we think we can manage. I've got this. I can manage this sin. Everything's going to be all right. All right. But right now, that sin is entangling you. He says, and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. See, there is a race for you. God has a race specifically for you to run. That means that you have a purpose. God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for your generation. This is your race. It says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on. Now, if you know how this verse ends, you know what goes in there. But here's our problem. Is we fix our eyes on all of the wrong things. Because our eyes are fixed on safety and security. God, I just want everything just to turn out okay for me. Our eyes are fixed on wealth. Perhaps your eyes are fixed on the wrong things. And it's time to redirect your eyes onto Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith. The pioneer and the perfecter. That your faith started with Jesus. He is the pioneer of your faith. You're not doing this by yourself, and he is the perfecter of your faith. That he started it. He will bring it to completion. You are not on your own in all of this. He is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And then it goes on and it says this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, this is what we're celebrating over these next couple weeks is that Jesus died on the cross for us that Jesus died on the cross for you and me, that Jesus faced the most brutal form of death that anybody could go through. But see, it wasn't just the pain of crucifixion. It was the humiliation and the shame Because when they crucified somebody, they would strip them naked so they would be humiliated before everybody. And it wouldn't be some cross on a hill far away. That's not the way that the Romans crucified people. They did it on the main roads, on the main thoroughfares, and the cross was not lifted high. It would be eye-level so when you walk by, you would eye-level see somebody who's being crucified and that you wouldn't rebel against the Roman government. That's how it was done. Jesus went through that for you. He says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, here's the reason all of that he gives us. Consider him who endured such opposition so that he gives us the purpose so you will not grow weary and lose heart. I I want you just to look up here for just a second. Just, Just look up here for a second. Because many of you have grown weary, and you've lost heart. That's where a lot of you are. Let me tell you why. Because you have fixed your eyes on a political system. Or you have fixed your eyes on a political party. You have fixed your eyes on an economy. You have fixed your eyes on social media. You have fixed your eyes on your boyfriend or girlfriend you fix your eyes on your kids. It's all about them. And you have grown weary and you are losing heart. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of those things. Just don't fix your eyes on them. Here's the key. Is you fix your eyes on Jesus. You fix your eyes on Jesus. If you find yourself weary today, you fix your eyes on Jesus. If you find yourself losing heart, then you come back right here. You fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the one who started your faith, and he is the one who will bring it to completion. That you are not on your own. You fix your eyes on Jesus. You fix your eyes like Abraham, who trusted God when God called him to a new land, and he had no idea where it would lead. You fix your eyes like Moses, who answers God's call when he thought his life was ruined and God could never use him. But God used him to lead his people to the promised land. You fix your eyes like Rahab, who had a past. She had a past of sexual sin. But she trusted God that he could use her for his purposes. You fix your eyes like our friends in India and China and Syria and Iraq and Iran and Saudi Arabia, where Christians are dying every day for the faith. You fix your eyes on Jesus because when you do, your life will tell a story. That your life will tell a story, and the people that are coming behind you will see your faith and they'll be encouraged. And they won't grow weary or lose heart because you had your eyes fixed on Jesus and your life told a story. So let me just read this scripture to you again. And then we'll pray together. Here's what he says. He says, therefore, in light of this great faith of all of those who have come before us, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, you want to know what the joy is? It's you. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinners that you would not grow weary or lose heart. God, that's our prayer today. That we would be the people who have such a strong faith that the people coming behind us would be encouraged by our faith. God, help us to re-fix our eyes on Jesus. We fixed our eyes on so many different things and we want to fix our eyes on Jesus. God, I want to pray for those in this room right now who have grown weary. They've lost heart. They want to give up. They don't know if they can keep going. God, that we would put our eyes back on Jesus. The one who started our faith and who will bring it to completion. We're not on our own. God, thank you for Jesus who endured the cross for us. May we consider him and to know it's worth it. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.